Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to be diving into the book of Revelation. We're going to be tearing up Revelation chapter number two as we begin in this journey today. And as I turn my Bibles, my Bible to Revelation chapter number two, I would encourage you to do the same thing. And beginning in chapter 2, verse number 1, looking at the church of Ephesus, we shall roll into Revelation Friday. So uh, before we begin, we'll ask the Lord for blessing upon our time together and that he give us the sense of the message that he has for us today as concerning the churches we shall cover. That we may be able to look inside of our own hearts and, and make note of the life that we're currently living for Jesus or against him. Very important to consider that. So let us go to the Lord in prayer, asking his blessing. Father, we are grateful. We ask that you will be with us, that you will watch over us, that you will guide us through this book. Lord, in this chapter, that we would realize that the issues you have against the church are the issues you may have against our very individually owned soul. And Lord, the corrective measures for us can bring the corrective measures of the whole body, which can be corrected to the, the pleasure of our Lord. So we ask and pray that you will give us a sense of these scriptures, the wisdom to understand the need of repentance, and just bless us, Lord. Bless us together as one in Christ Jesus. Amen. Okay, guys, let's check out the first church. Of course, we're dealing with the church at Ephesus in chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 1, ending in verse number 7. The scripture goes down to say this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and not bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God." Well, really exciting first off is this point in verse number 7 of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You'll find this tree of life being mentioned over in Revelation chapter number 22 between verses 1 and 6. And it's a very, very powerful explanation of this tree, which leaves are for the healing of the nations, in which case you'll find that there shall be plenty of nations that will be down on the earth while this tree is in full bloom up in the New Jerusalem there at the throne room of Jesus. Where, where the church shall be, there will be plenty of nations on the earth that recognize just a multitude of, of, of peoples that wouldn't have access to 
the the new Jerusalem, but certainly would not have been abandoned or forgotten by God because of the promise that God made to them. So it's very important to understand that. Also, you're going to have the 12 tribes of Israel dwelling upon the earth as the covenant is made with them. God will fulfill that covenant of a land flowing with milk and honey. That is not the new Jerusalem. It is on the earth as the covenant was made with them concerning the earth. And then there will be the throne room of God where the martyred saints shall serve the Lord day and night as the scripture says. And so uh, very important for us to understand that tree of life. It has 12 manner of fruits that would recognize the 12 apostles and or the 12 tribes of Israel. And each fruit will give uh, a, a changeover in its season. And so you'll find that there are 12 seasons with 12 different types of fruit. Now, is that 12 months that make up a year? Is that 12 years that make up a cycle? doesn't matter. It could be 12 minutes. It could be 12 hours. It, it, it doesn't matter. But the, but the point is, is that if you've ever heard the song from, from John Newton, who had wrote Amazing Grace, if you've ever heard the song, which everybody is now humming in their own heart because they heard the mention of it, so we're very familiar with it. He says, when we've been there 10,000 years bright, shining as the sun. Well, the reality of that is, is that often we are told that there will be no means to be able to track time once we get to the new heaven and the new earth because time won't matter. And yet what we find in, in this tree of life that is positioned in the paradise of God, which is known as the new Jerusalem at the throne of Jesus, that this particular tree is, is bearing 12 different kinds of fruit and each fruit comes in its season. And so indeed we will be able to track time if for, with nothing less than that tree, which every time it gets new fruit on it, we'll know that a season has passed. And so, of course, we have the number 12 is recognized as the, the apostles. We have the number 12 is recognized as the tribes of Israel. But we also have the number 12 is recognized in, in the months of a year uh, as our current system works. And so it's no large stretch to be able to understand that 12 different types of fruit happening 12, 12 different points in, in, in time for the new heaven and the new earth that indeed we could sing when we've been there 10,000 years and we could track the nature of that 10,000 years is recognized by the changing of that fruit. Kind of a side note, but an interesting thing to think about. So he comes down and he says, uh, first off, one of those things that Jesus really appreciates about this particular church at Ephesus is that they, they hate the works of the Nicolaitans. That's very important because the works of the Nicolaitans are born from the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. You know, the, the things that we do at our jobs are because we learned to do them, and doctrine is just that. It's the learned learned portions of the Bible that we follow by by training, so to speak. And so as I teach these messages, as I work through these books of the Bible, and I share the insights that the Lord has given unto me, I'm actually sharing with you points points of doctrine. There are historical points and archaeological points and a lot of different things of that nature, but when it comes to things like salvation, when it comes to things like baptism, and when it comes to things of, of these natures, we're getting into a very 
systematic set of doctrine that is taught by the Bible, and the Nicolaitans' works reveal themselves through their understanding, through their doctrine. And so this church at Ephesus and the works that it's doing is not following the pattern of the Nicolaitans whatsoever, which means that it does not have any error in its doctrine. Of course, one of the primary errors of the Nicolaitan doctrine was is that they did not believe that Jesus was divinity. They did not believe that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God, nor did they teach that Jesus rose from the dead, but that his body was stolen. They did not teach that Jesus was the Lamb of God and the importance of the blood of the Lord would be applied to the account of the sinner in order for them to be saved. They didn't teach any of these things. In fact, they denied them. And so you'll find that, that, of course, God is going to hate the works and the doctrine of this group of people. But another frightening concept is the fact that God is paying attention. You see, we would, we would often in this life choose to just ignore those things that did not agree with us as though it was wrong, but we're not going to call it out. They have the right to believe whatever they want to believe. They have the right to do whatever they want to do. That's kind of the way the United States was originally established. However, in the hand of God, he doesn't play the same way that we do. He does pay attention, and he does have his will to be done. And if, if there be anything that would come up against his will as being contradictory to it, he's going to go after it, and he's going to crush it. So it's very important for us to understand today the power, the authority, and the person of our God. Luckily, this church at Ephesus, of course I say luckily, but that's not the case at all, is it? It's by providence, we understand. But as I, I digress, we, we see that this church at Ephesus actually serves the Lord. This church at Ephesus is, is a church, as you recognize in verse number one. He says, I know your works. I, I know the, the, the difficulties that you're going through, your toil. I understand your patient endurance. He's, he's listing these things that he sees about this people that are indeed wonderful attributes. And, and he says how you cannot bear with those that are, that are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Now, the, the ones that he's referring to bearing those who are evil, the fact that they cannot bear them are the false prophets. They are false teachers of the gospel. This isn't dealing with people that come into the congregation who have done evil things and that they would be rejected or ejected from the the congregation that's not the case at all the very nature of a church is to be a place where sinners can go to get right with god and so we would invite sinners in fact we would acknowledge that we who our members of the congregation have already acknowledged and still to this day continue to acknowledge that we are greater sinners than any of the rest. <laughs> so it's very important to, to understand exactly who you are before righteous and holy God is, is a, a pretty wretched sinner in need of Jesus. And so these people... Uh, at Ephesus, they recognized the wretchedness of their soul. They recognized their need for repentance, their need for Jesus. But they pay very close attention to the people that are that are come to teach them. They pay very close attention to the pastors whom they would call to lead them. They pay very close attention to 
uh, the, the works of these, these educators for them to be able to grow in the Lord. And, and they sift them as wheat to know that the ones that are evil, the ones that, that are claiming to be apostles or the ones that are claiming to be pastors are claiming to be biblical teachers, but are not. And are discovered to be false. And so they're, they're definitely a people who are very attentive to their studies of God's word to be able to know who is true and who is false. But of course, again, I, I would say that the congregation was very open to receiving of sinners because it was necessary for sinners to hear the gospel in order to be saved. And our churches today must be open unto sinners Praise God, not rejecting anyone who, who is coming for the, the purpose of understanding Jesus that they might be saved. For that is the very purpose of why we exist to begin with. But there are plenty of people out there who, who teach false doctrine, who would, who would be like Satan as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Uh, looking for congregations who are weak in their knowledge to be able to come in and rule over. So it's very important that, that we are in part like this Ephesus, that we do uh, the works that we have been given in the Scripture to do, that, that we wait with patience as the world spins and goes even more corrupt, that we remain steadfast in our patient endurance of those teachings of the gospel, regardless of how the world receives or perceives them and and that we continue to test those who may seek to come within our walls and try to correct the the direction of the scriptures in our heart by by challenging those things kind of like a lot of these other denominations that are out there who have since accepted homosexuality in the pulpit they've accepted uh, a lot of different erroneous teachings and a lot of just flat out heresies of of the against the scripture and and the congregations have well received it and in fact thrown the bible out just just for it well we ought never to do that but to be Ephesus and test the the teachings of those who would come to try and and be our leaders, and if we find them to be false, kick them out the door. He says in verse number three, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing and bearing up uh, for my name's sake, and for and you have not grown weary. This is a very faithful body, except for one issue. One issue. And I want you to understand something today is, is one issue is of infinite value before the Lord. One issue can cost the an ultimate cost if if we could say it that way just one lie can can you know send you straight to hell without repentance just just one thing before the lord is of infinite value for god is an infinite god one transgression one good work could carry all the difference in the balance before god there's no question about it whereas we in a finite world judge each other based on the next event that may happen in our lives god in his infinite in his infinite what what do you call it infinite ways uh is is infinite to his point that in one guilty of one guilty of the whole and one offense you remain guilty until that guilt is is either erased by the blood of jesus or buries you and so it's very important to understand that. 
He says, I have this against you. Verse number four, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first, or as it is written in the King James Bible, you have left your first love. Abandon the love you had at the first. In other words, these people are a faithful people. This church is a, a solid church, but it has grown distant from Jesus. And, and if we would apply it to our modern day, it, it, it has grown distant from Jesus because it has begun to be a church of programs. And I'd have to say that one of the detriments to the gospel as concerning any one given church would be in the multitude of its programs. It has, it has this program or that program. It's not teaching just from the scripture anymore. Sunday school is fractured into a multitude of different programs. It has, it has a men's program and a women's program and a children's program and a program and a program and a program. And it becomes more about the programs than it does about the central point and truth of the gospel. The Bible is set aside for the curriculum book and it becomes program. And, and what happens is it doesn't mean that the church isn't doing right. It doesn't mean that the church isn't doing a lot of great things and that it isn't serving God. As we see in Ephesus, that's not the case at all. Jesus is recognizing their works. He's recognizing their endurance. He's recognizing the fact that they are willing to test those that claim to be teachers and that they're willing to reject those that are false. He, he's applauding them for that, but they've gotten so carried away in the programs. They've gotten so carried away in the works, in the things that they're doing, that they've left the Bible behind, that they've left the Word of God out not that the word of god isn't intermingled within the the words of the commentators that write the curriculums that run the program but that it becomes more man's ideas of what god has to say instead of the holy spirit speaking through the person from the word of god and so you'll find that even the best churches that are laden with programs which the world encourages because the world likes the idea of not having to be faced with the Bible alone because it's taught, it's taught the church that there's no possible way you could fully understand the Scripture without the aid or help of these other learned men. And, and so you, you, you begin to not rely upon the Holy Spirit for understanding of the Scripture, but you begin to rely upon the, the people like R.C. Sproul or John MacArthur, if you're a, a Reformed idealist, and, and people like Leighton Flowers or people like, like these other guys, if, you're, if you are a Arminianist or, you know, the, these multitudes of different concepts that, that exist out there, and, and so we get these curriculums that, that we would tend to agree with the commentators, but that's the problem. We're not, we're not receiving from the Holy Spirit the Word of God. We're receiving from some guy's opinion about the Word of God and trying to sift through that to decide if we're in agreement with their opinion instead of studying the Word of God and then looking at what they have to say and saying, wait a minute, this is contrary to God's Word. So we find that when we become a people of the program instead of people of the book, 
that we end up abandoning the love that we had for Jesus at the first because the word of God is Jesus. Our, our love for God's word is, is what is first led us to salvation. Our love for God's word is what led us to baptism. Our love for God's word is what led us to, to enter into a walk with God, into a, a, an intimacy with his word. Our love for, for Jesus, our love for the Bible is what has, has initiated our, our faith without question. But when we start to separate ourselves from our Bible because of the different programs, and pastors are guilty of this too, and that we have a church full of programs, we have to study the program's materials instead of the Bible in order to be able to stay stay up with the latest information of what's happening with the programs that, that everyone begins to abandon the love they had for God's word at the first because they all get programmed by their programs. Something to think about anyways, isn't it? Because we ought to be a people who are studying the Bible unto the point where when we go into a neighbor's home, or somebody asks us a question, is the Bible that we open and not what, what we got out of Sunday school last week? It's the Word of God that we, we challenge the question with. It's the Word of God that we present to the, the person who is asking the question instead of others' opinions or any opinion. That it be the Word of God that would guide our every way. Well, now you understand the challenge of, of Ephesus. And I think that if, if we would be true about the United States, I believe that you would discover that a multitude of the churches that we have in our country today would be in Ephesus. They would have good motive. They would have good works. They would have, have a desire to serve God. They would, they would endure the, the, the communities around them with patience, trying to reach them. They, all of these things of Ephesus would be speaking true about this church, especially the one point that Jesus Jesus would have against it, which is that it had forgotten his first love, that, that it had left it, that it abandoned the love that they had for the purity of the gospel which they received at the first. And unfortunately, a lot of these churches that we have in our nation today are at a situation where if anybody's truly receiving Christ, they're not receiving Christ from the preaching of the word, but through the, the education of the program. And so that when they, when they enter Christ and they begin to try and build a relationship with God, it's only through the program that they try to build a relationship with God. And then when somebody brings them a Bible and hands it to them and asks them a question concerning the, the text that is written inside, They've never really studied the Bible for themselves to be able to understand what, what is truly in there. They only know what they've been programmed to know and understand. So really, church is just like secular education nowadays in that we receive an indoctrination of those things which we are told to believe instead of a genuine education of the things which we've studied from the Word of God and the source ourselves. And that is the issue of Ephesus. It's a very powerful point, isn't it? And so we get down and he says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And by the way, he's referring to the churches. Now, I understand that these first seven verses recognize one church in specific, but that church is meant to be shared with all of the other churches because 
This church is not representative, as some people teach, as a dispensation of time. There are some people, and I don't know where in the world they come up with this, but they teach these seven different churches as seven different dispensations, and they say that we exist in the time of Laodicea, which is the final dispensation, before the tribulation dispensation. Now, the term dispensation simply means a period of time. But that's not the case at all. The reason behind this statement that he makes, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, is because each of these churches' issues are going to be discovered inside of all of the other churches. There are going to be those who would rather choose the program more than the Word of God. There are going to be those who are very faithful in the church. 10% of the people do 90% of the work 100% of the time, unfortunately here in the United States. So there's always going to be within any congregation those few that really are faithful and serving God and doing the works and, and paying attention and, and, and listening to the teachings of those who would come to teach them, rather by Sunday school or by the pastor in the pulpit, what have you, and asking the questions and testing the information. Plenty of folks that are doing well in that area but that when it comes to the Bible for their own personal life or it comes to the Bible for their own selves, they would rather prefer the curriculum over the Scripture. And that tends to be Ephesus. But he says churches. So this message that he wrote to Ephesus in this period of time of the 90s A.D., that this message that he wrote to the church at Ephesus is applicable to us today, isn't it? Because there may be those of us who, who, when challenged to teach directly from the Scriptures, would, would not want to do that for fear of getting something wrong or for a lack of confidence of believing that it was possible for us to do that. And so we run back to the curriculum so that other people we feel to be smarter than us who have written their points of view concerning what the scripture said will guide us to be able to know how to think instead of the Holy Spirit who would desire to teach us directly from God's word. Interesting, isn't it? Imagine doing this particular study with me called the reality of revelation here. Imagine doing this study with me as I read through John MacArthur's teachings on revelation or as I read through uh, someone else's instruction concerning revelation. What would we actually be getting but another person's opinion about what the scriptures actually are saying, but then we wouldn't be able to stop at these one words. We wouldn't be able to, to consider the, the small detail or the point to every word that we would come across. We would only have a highlighted view of what somebody else received from it. We would only have a highlighted view of, of someone else's opinion. But that's the issue of the church at Ephesus, that it wouldn't personally study the scriptures, but would more rely on other people's views in the program. So then we move from verses 8 to 11 to the church in Smyrna. Now, this church, along with the church of Philadelphia, are the two churches that aren't going to be in a lot of trouble. And the reason why they're not going to be in a lot of trouble is because they didn't have any time to get into trouble. They had to be faithful. They had to be solid. They had to be true to, to what they proclaimed to be because they're getting killed. Let's take a look. 
and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Now, uh, last week at, when we do our sessions live on Friday evenings, I was talking about this second death. And you discover that, that, that second death is, is actually defined in Revelation chapter number 20, beginning in verse number 11, working down to verse number 15. In the scripture of Revelation 20, verse number 15, it says, All whose names were not written in, in the Lamb's book of life were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. So the first death that a person faces in this life is the separation from God into the holding facility called hell. Much like what happens when a person um, gets initially caught from committing a crime, they're immediately separated from society and their family members and, and those that they do care about. And they're placed in rather a city lockup or they're placed in a county lockup awaiting a sentencing and so, and, or awaiting their trial. So wherever they're caught, they're locked up. If it's necessary for them to be extradited to a particular state or here or there, they, they, they would you know, get, get extradited. But ultimately, they're going to be found in a county lockup or a, or a city lockup, something of that nature, uh, until they go to their trial. Well, the same thing is true for the soul that dies without Jesus, without the blood of Christ applied to their sins account, and that they, they would face an immediate separation from all that they loved on the earth. They would face an immediate separation from the presence of God and, and all things that would be holy, and they would be held in this lockup called hell, as we understand, it's beneath us. In Isaiah 14, it reveals that, and that is a place of torments. That is a place that that is filled with fire and brimstone. We understand that is Jesus' teachings in the Valley of Gehenna, as well as when we met the rich man trying to beg Abraham to get Lazarus to dip his finger in water. So understand that this is the situation of this place called hell. It's a holding facility that is standing by awaiting for the call to judgment. We recognize in Revelation chapter number 20 that when God calls the judgment seat to order that death, hell, and the grave are lifted up before the, the judgment seat of Christ, that they are judged out of the things which were written in the books, and that after their sentencing, they are cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And so we understand that those who have, have dealt with a great suffering because of the persecution of the lands, such as the Christians who are regularly being slaughtered in Africa, the Christians who are currently being slaughtered in China, the Christians who, who would have to go through this great uh, difficulty, this great 
killing fields of the lands which they live, multitudes of Christians within the Muslim countries of the Middle East who have uh, literally gladly surrendered their lives to the, the headman's blades and in order to share the love of God and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those who had faced tribulation, those who have faced poverty, and understanding verse number nine, the poverty that they face is only a poverty of worldly goods and assets. Because as you see in the parentheses there in verse number nine, they are rich. Is because in their faithfulness to the Lord, of course, we understand the trial of the church is that which is a trial by fire recognized in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 verses 9 to 16. And that the building of the kingdom in that trial will be recognized rather as the gold, silver and precious stones that would be received in the mansion that we shall uh, have as being the faithful part of Jesus's bride known as the New Jerusalem or the church. So we understand that, that our wealth is not found in the multitude of accounts and stocks and bonds and vehicles and houses and lands and all of these other things, material and physical, that shall be destroyed and done away with, but that we find our wealth in the service we render unto our King and the blessing of that which is to come of the treasures that are stored up in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt, where thieves cannot break in and steal." And so these folks in Smyrna are, are given to us an, an example of the tribulation that we may have to face, the poverty that we may have to go through, the slander of people claiming to be Christians and, and, and talking ill of us or causing others to look ill upon us simply because they, they hate the reality of the Christ in whom we serve, understanding that there are many false apostles, there are many false prophets, understanding that there are plenty of wolves in sheep's clothing, as it was sitting among you within the pews that would, would be angry about those things of, of the truth that are being spoken because of the faithfulness to God's word instead of the program and they would be infuriated to to slander you which by the way are recognized as a synagogue or as would be revealed concerning the churches today would be the church of satan inside the very very church that we would think to be for god in christian and he says and the slander of those who say they are christians of course in this text it says who say that they are jews and are not but the same thing applies to us today as dealing with the church of god is concerning those that claim to be christians but they're not he says but are a synagogue of satan or a church of the devil and that's the truth there are plenty of people who have who have prayed a prayer there are plenty of people who went through a, a system of doctrine and teaching and have been confirmed to the church, but have no intimacy, no fellowship, no salvation in Christ Jesus. They, they find their salvation in their baptism. They find their salvation in their church affiliation or their church attendance. They find their salvation in the works that they believe to be acceptable before God. They find, they find their, their righteousness in all of these things, but they have not come to Christ. And if that be the case with you today, then you're lost. 
It doesn't matter how beautifully religious you are, and it doesn't matter how, how ardently faithful to your religion you are. Neither of those things will ever get you to the audience of the Father, only the blood of Jesus. Only the surrendered soul that is repentant at sin before God could ever be in the presence of God, except for the time of judgment, of course. And so it's very important to understand this church is given to us to shine for, for faithfulness. Be faithful, even, even as he says in verse number 10, don't fear what you're about to suffer. Jesus also said in John chapter number 16, in this life you will suffer, you will have tribulation. Because understand that this world does not love God. It does not appreciate Jesus Christ. There are plenty of religions that are out there who slaughtered Christians for decades, for, for centuries, simply because they hated the truth of Jesus. Even though they claimed to be the truth of Jesus, they hated the reality that the Bible contradicted what they said that they were, and so they killed us. All the day long they slaughtered us, just like God's people slaughtered God. <laughs> Think about that, that, that the Jews would, would seek to slaughter Jesus. Why? Because he's teaching good truth in a land that desired to be filled with lies, having itching ears, seeking, seeking teachers or heaping to themselves teachers that would speak what they wanted. And so it's very important to realize that, that multitudes of churches today are just like Smyrna. They're, they're suffering for their faith and, and they're being in prison, just like he said. Some of you are going into prison that you may be tested and some of you are going to be killed. He says, but if you're willing to give your life for me, just like Jesus said, if, if, if you would be willing to lose your life, you'll have it. But if you're going to try and save your life, you're going to lose it. Well, the, the same teaching is true right here. He said, be faithful to death. I've got a crown of life waiting for you. Just be faithful. Just be faithful. And he goes down and he says, He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Of course, the one who conquers, the one who's faithful, even unto death, they're faithful. The one who, the one who suffers through tribulation with, with patience and with joy. The one who, who carries the works and the doctrines and the truth and tests and proves just like the folks in, in Ephesus and, and, and remains true to what they believe. The one who truly is born again. Because only a truly born-again person could ever endure such difficulty and struggle and strife without giving up. The one who conquers, the born-again child of God, they don't have to worry about the second death. The reason why they don't have to worry about the second death is because they've received the first resurrection. Now, in Revelation chapter number 20, going down about verse number 5, working into verse number 6, well, really, if we look at uh, verse yeah 5 to 7, you'll find that blessed are those who have received of the first resurrection upon whom the second death has no authority, no power. Well, this is the point of Revelation chapter 2 in the church of Smyrna, is if you've conquered, if you've come to Christ, if you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb, if you, if you are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God and you are part of the faithful in Christ Jesus, you're not going to be touched by the second death. It can't. It can't. For you have received of the first resurrection and you belong to God. Oh, how much of a blessing that is. By the way, 
He says again the second time, you'll see it seven times, which by the way, the number seven being that which is complete. Uh, he said, let the Spirit, let he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You're going to hear that so many times, to the churches. Why? Because it applies to us today. It applies to us today as well as it applied to Smyrna, as well as it applied to Ephesus. And so next week we'll get into Pergamum and we'll get into Thyatira, very important churches to be able to look at, but we don't have the time today to be able to get into them. So it's a little bit of a cliffhanger for you to be able to go over them and, and look at them. But uh, Pergamum is a pretty exciting place concerning the white stone that we'll get into conversation about. But I hope that this has been a blessing to you and I hope that it has encouraged your heart to study the Word of God not the program, but the Word of God itself, that you may be filled with the presence of the Spirit during your time of study. Father, we thank you and praise you, asking for your blessing to be upon us the rest of this day, that we may live it well and rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, may God bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, and I shall catch you on Monday to finish off Luke chapter number 22 at the rejection of Peter at the burn barrel. Pretty exciting stuff, so take care. We'll see you later.